disappear from it and hurry up side streets in search of comparative quietude. The advocates of motor omnibuses claim that the main thoroughfares must be given up to them, and people who value peace live elsewhere. Either that or the machines must be made noiseless, which even their advocates do not contemplate, or our nerves must become insensible. It is true that a hundred years ago, with the innumerable street cries and the freer voices of our ancestors, nay, even thirty years ago, when the cobblestones were still used, the actual volume of sound was greater. But one can grow used to the continual rumble over stones, and cries which irritate the nerves do not deafen the ears. Spasmodic machinery, suddenly grunting and shrieking, defeats and routs us finally. It is probable, then, that the melancholy prophecy is right, and that the true Piccadilly of history is fast dying. Let us leave it forthwith, and go back to the day when that history was beginning. Let us stand at the top of St. James's Street, enter Mr. Wells's time machine, and go back to the year 1664. I chose that year, let me say as we go, because then began the building of great houses in Piccadilly, and its entrance into the main current of our social history. The name, of course, is older, and here it behoves me, I suppose, to give an account of it, reluctantly, and overcoming a temptation to refer my readers to the authorities, and leave them alone in that company, for the facts are obscure without being interesting. In the early part of the seventeenth century, then, there was a house in this district, near the top of the Haymarket, known as Piccadilly Hall. It belonged to one Robert Baker, who made a will, dated April the 14th, 1623, in which he left two pounds, ten shillings in money, and ten shillings in bread, to the poor of the parish, namely that of St. Martin's in the Fields. In this will he speaks of a tenement in his own occupation, with its garden and cow-house, and land of the extent of two acres, in two fields behind the mews, all enclosed with a brick wall, but without a name. In the entry of the charity in the accounts of the overseers of the poor, the donor is described as Robert Baker of Piccadilly Hall, and from this it is possible to infer that Robert Baker did not care for the name, which must in that case have been a nickname. There was also a gaming-house hereabouts, also known as Piccadilly, and otherwise as Shaver's Hall, that is, according to Mr. Wheatley, who thinks that Piccadilly Hall was a private house, and that the district having got the name of Piccadilly, the gaming-house was also so called. If, however, there is anything in Mr. Baker's omitting the name from his will, it seems probable that his house was in some way public, otherwise it would hardly have been given a nickname he regarded as derogatory. Be that as it may, I think it is clear that Shaver's Hall was not originally called Piccadilly, because George Garrard writes to Lord Conway, May the 30th, 1636, Simon Austbiston's house is newly christened. It is called Shaver's Hall, as other neighbouring places thereabouts are nicknamed Tart Lane, Piccadell Hall. And he goes on to say that the nickname was not derived from the builder's profession, he was barber to Lord Pembroke, but because Lord Dunbar lost three thousand pounds at a sitting, and was said to be shaved. Well, but in 1641 Lord Clarendon, then Mr. Hyde, went to a place called Piccadilly, which was a fair house for entertainment and gaming, with handsome gravel walks with shade, and where were an upper and lower bowling green, whither very many of the nobility and gentry of the best quality resorted, both for exercise and conversation. I opine that either this was a development of Baker's house, 
or that Shaver's Hall had come later to be confused with it, and called Piccadilly, or that this was a house distinct from both. To it, at any rate, resorted Sir John Suckling, natural, easy Suckling, as Millamant calls him in The Way of the World, the poetical gallant who was famous for bowling and card-playing. He did use, says Aubrey, to practice by himself a bed, and then studied the best way of managing the cards. That has something of a sinister air, but in spite of it we will find his sisters, coming to the peccadillo bowling-green, crying, for fear he should lose all their portions. And the end of it all was suicide in Paris. Other gallants of less interest came to grief at Piccadilly, but we need not linger over their fortunes. Very early the name seems to have been extended to the district, for in the second edition of Gerard's Herbal, published in 1633, we have the little wild bugloss grows upon the dry ditch banks about Piccadilly, and almost everywhere.